Welcome. You're listening to the Bible Marathon Project, your one-stop class for learning Bible interpretation, defending your faith, using spiritual gifts, and building consistency in your devotion with God. We hope these sessions are a blessing to you as they've been to us. And without further ado, we say welcome to Apologetic Sunday. All right, um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, this afternoon, this evening, um, or this morning, wherever all of us are at. We thank you for this beautiful Sunday. Um, we thank you for what we are going to learn today, everything we are going to learn today. We pray that um, we know that you are with us and we know that as we go today that um, your word is brought forth with power and authority and um, it teaches us and instructs us in righteousness. Um, today is going to be a great um session and um we commit our teachers um to your hands and we pray that they we know that they have the power and they they speak with power and authority as well as they teach us today in jesus name amen all right thank you everyone for coming um just a short note if you can turn on your video we always love that so want to see your beautiful faces um hi abby abby was the first person to turn on a video after of course after ernest and lillian um so nice to see you so if you can turn on your, your videos um that would be very helpful um to to everybody it's nice to just see our faces and to know us so um last week oh sorry lucia um last week we were instructed to read um the book of second peter it has three chapters so I hope we all read it, right? Um, so if you didn't read it, it's fine. Um, grace covers you, hopefully. <laughs> um, but no, grace covers you. And um, I'm going to call on our very own Lillian, wonderful Lillian, to go over the book of um, Second Peter um, for us and with us. And, you know, we get to... Um, yes, thank you, Jesus, for grace. Tonga, I love that name, by the way. Um, so yeah, we're going to go over the book of Second Peter, and Lillian is going to go over it with us. So welcome, Lillian. Thank you very much. Glad to have you. Hi, everyone. Yeah, so Second Peter was pretty dense, and it was pretty similar um, in some aspects to the book of Jude, but he gave a little bit more information on basically what to do about the, the false teachers. Um, so he starts off by saying that... Um, through Christ, we have received righteousness, and we've also received everything we need to escape from fleshly sin, right? And because of this, he tells us to continue to grow so that we will not stumble. And he wants to continue to remind us of these things being their righteousness, the power that they've received, and the cleansing from sin that they've received because he isn't the one who made it up, right? He goes on to talk about how the eyewitness accounts that they've received are reliable accounts of people who walked with Jesus um, and that the prophecies that have been fulfilled are also trustworthy because they were received from the Holy Spirit to those prophets, right? And then he says, but there were always false prophets in, um, during the time of the prophets. And just as there were false prophets, there will also be false teachers now. And he says that the, God will not spare punishment for these false teachers, but he will also preserve the godly and deliver the godly from temptation. 
He describes the false teachers as being filled with corruption, unable to stop sinning, bringing others down with them, even people who have already escaped from sin. He says, because of these false teachers, basically you should know your stuff. Um, you should know the words of the prophets and the words of the apostles, which we would now describe as scripture. <laughs> he also says that people will say that the second coming isn't going to happen. It's been so long. God hasn't done anything. Like, What are we waiting for? God just, he's not going to come again. The day of the Lord isn't going to come, right? But Peter reminds us that God is eternal and God has, created the earth and he has been sustaining the earth and will continue to sustain the earth until the day of the Lord where he will destroy the earth. And he says that this, um, this day of the Lord, which we would know as the tribulation is not, um, is, is going to come unexpectedly, right? It's not at a time that we can anticipate or expect. And so because of that, we should be living holy lives and looking forward to not necessarily the day of destruction, but the new era of a new heaven and a new earth filled with righteousness. He tells us that this, this what we would see as a delay in the day of the Lord, he tells us that this delay is really a, um, a time where God is allowing more people to receive salvation, right? Um, so at the very end, he gives a final summary telling us, don't be led away by the wicked misinterpretation of scripture. Um, and know that God's delaying of his coming is really allowing more people to receive salvation. And then because this coming is happening, we should be diligent to seek righteousness. So yeah, that was Second Peter. I really hope you all got the chance to read it. It's pretty short, so if you didn't get the chance to read it, I really encourage you to read it sometime soon. So yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, Lillian. That was that was really good. Um, that was a great summary. Thank you. Thank you for that. I think one thing that really stood out to me in the summary was um, when you said when you highlighted what Peter said about the fact that there have always been false teachers and there will always be false teachers. Like that letter could have been written today um, because there are still false teachers out there, you know, teaching things that are not what's in scripture, right? And um, you also mentioned that we should know our stuff um, to be able to fight against these um, wrong doctrines or things that and not in line with scripture, right? So that, that was really good. Thank you very much. And yes, like Leon said, if you didn't get the chance to go through um first to go through the second Peter rather, um, please do so. It's um it's really good. And these um these Bible these portions of scripture are basically for our edification um and for us to grow spiritually this year. And you must grow if you're part of us, you must grow. Um so um also I want to say hi to everyone at Mixelar. I know you can hear me, but I can't see if I can't see the put that on there. I know I said hi to people on here, but if you're mixed a lot, hi. Um, thank you for making it. Thank you for joining us today. Um, so right now we're going to um jump into today's teaching. Um 
Google Cell Computer really covered everything that we are doing this this month. Um, covered the fact that um, you know we should really um, be beware of false features and we should know our stuff and increase in our knowledge. Um, it also covered um, the place where we should know how to rightly divide scripture and rightly interpret scripture. And that's what we've really been learning this month um, in Bible Marathon. So now we're going to dive into today's topic, which is, um, so we're going to dive into the boxing ring or the soccer field, whichever one you are, um, you're familiar with. And we're going to learn how to defend the gospel, defend the faith that has been delivered unto us. And I'm going to welcome our very own Ernest, who will be teaching us today. Um, grab your Bibles, grab your notepads, grab your physical or digital Bibles, and be ready to learn and be ready to receive. So welcome, Ernest. We're glad to have you. Thank you so much, Ayo. Thank you so much. Hi, everybody. Welcome again. Um, it's so good to see a lot of new faces. I would say new, new names, because most of you don't have your videos on. But um, hopefully I'll get to see you guys later on. This is like family. So feel free. Let's get to see your reaction. Let's get to see uh, where you are at, except you don't have light. And that's that's a plausible excuse. All right. So um, Lillian, that was awesome. Thank you. Lillian did an amazing job. So I'm, I'm really impressed. Um, since we started this, you know, Samuel did last week and I'm like, wow. And then Lillian also blew me away today. So thank you so much for a beautiful um, recap. And I just want to challenge you. If you're not, if you're not reading with us and you don't have a Bible plan whatsoever for the year, I'm begging, I'm sincerely begging, join in on this one. The goal is to get you in the word of God every single week. And um, as you'll get to see very soon, every single day, but we want to kind of bring you in naturally. So if you're not doing this, please get become a part of it. Because what we're doing here is super crucial, super important. Um, I don't even know how to emphasize this. So if you do have a Bible plan already that you're following faithfully, go ahead, all right? Because I know sometimes some people might have that challenge of, you know, how can I keep up with all of this? You know, I, I actually have like three Bible plans running, one with my church, my own personal one, and Bible Marathon. So I'm and, you know, I, I might end up reading the Bible more than once this year. But the point is, it's 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 necessary that we know God's word. And you're going to find out more about that as we continue. So I just want to say a huge welcome again and kind of give you a summary of what we do here. This is Bible Marathon. Uh, this is where you're equipped to stay faithful in the course of Bible study, you know. And then secondarily, we are equipping you to grow in other areas of spiritual devotion. So I don't want to go into detail there, but I'll let you know that we have videos already online and the resource people would, you know, put some things in the chat to link you up to that. Um, but we've been doing quite a lot of stuff already. And last week, like Aya said, we, you know, learned a little bit about Bible interpretation. And, you know, a few people had questions about that, you know, is what's the need for Bible interpretation after all? The Bible can, I can read the Bible and understand it and I can have anything, you know, any understanding that, that comes from reading the scriptures. But that's not really true because there is always a right way to do stuff and a wrong way. As we read in 2 Timothy 2.15, right? We're meant to be diligent to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that are not ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So the word of truth needs to be rightly divided, right? 
So there's a right way to do it. And then today we're getting into a new realm. And um, honestly, this is a realm that I want you to pay close attention to because it's dear to my heart, especially because of the experiences I've had in the past. And I'll share some of those with you today. But I want to just open your mind. That's what this is for. All right. Don't think we're going into like deep exegetical philosophical stuff. We might get into a few questions, but today the goal is to welcome you into this realm or this um, field of apologetics. That word might seem, you know, fancy or for some people you're thinking, what is apologetics? Am I apologizing to someone? No, that's not what we're talking about today. Um, Just confirm that you can hear me well. Can you guys hear me? All right, cool. Thank you. Um, Just let me hear some housekeeping here. Um, I want to see if anyone else needs to be a co-host just to assist. But I I want to be, I want to say I'm so grateful for everyone who is on here. Remember, everything we're doing here is for the glory of Jesus. If we believe Jesus is real, that he came, he died he was buried. He rose from the dead. He, res- he he ascended to heaven. He gave instructions to the apostles. And we are a fruit of their work. Then we have to take this seriously. It's not enough to just say I'm a Christian and I'm going with the flow. You can't. You know, Christianity is a historic faith. It's, it, there's history to it. It's not just something we just came up with and felt happy with. Or we, we thought this is what's going to make our lives happy. So we jumped into it. No. It's more than that, all right? So let me just go into some, let me ask a few questions. What do you guys know um, as apologetics? Does, does anyone want to tell me what they know about apologetics? You know, if you've ever heard the word, I really want to get some interaction. Anybody? Defending the faith, Samuel says, okay, you can unmute yourself and speak. Go ahead. I, I see. I think Yinka wanted to say something. Okay. I'll just wait for a bit. I really want feedback. I want you guys to interact. Defending with a particular me. faith. You said what? Defending a particular faith that you believe in. Right, right. Very good. Defending a particular faith. Okay. Who else? Or you feel that's it? Bully and muted. Okay, sorry. So I thank you. Um, so one I think what makes um apologetics apologetics is that it kind of it kind of uses logic to defend the abstract concept of different faiths. And I think it's for every kind of faith. Right. I like the fact that you're all mentioning the fact that it's for a faith. It's not specific to the Christian faith. All right. But what I'm going to show you today is what we call Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. But someone might be one. Okay, I see a few. Let me respond to a few comments here. So um, Ademola says, by writing, um, if it says answering questions about the veracity of, Chris, of, um, of, the, of Christianity. Yeah, which is right. So veracity, the truthfulness. Right. And this is so important, guys. Some people are, you know, there are a lot of objections to this. And we'll talk about that in a while. But 
I just really want you to know that this is super important. This is something really important to God's mind and his heart and everything that he's about. So uh, let me just give a real, you know, definition, all right, of, of apologetics real quick. So apologetics is reasoned arguments or writings in justification of something, typically a theory or religious doctrine. So this is what you find in a dictionary. And some people are right now wondering, why is this important? Why is this important? And if you know anything about Bible Marathon, guess one thing we, are, we, we try to emphasize. We try to emphasize that the word of God is our guide. So we don't do anything we feel like doing if we're not instructed by the word to do it. Does that make sense? If we believe the word of God was inspired by God, and this is God's way of speaking to us, then we ought to pay close attention to what it tells us. And you'd find out real short, real quickly that this is an instruction from the word of God. But let me go ahead to tell you uh, what Christian apologetics is. So if apologetics is the reasoned argument or defense of a faith, Christian apologetics is being able to defend the Christian faith against objections against objections. So there are people who are going to come against what you believe. There are people who will just have questions for the faith that you believe. Like, I mean, I hope, I pray to God almost every time it comes to my mind that Christians would know what they have and know what they've received and understand the faith and understand what Christianity is. But many people don't. All they have are, should I say, um, leftovers or like captions, they don't have the depth and the 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 um, full assurance of what they believe. It's just what I've heard someone say, and that's not enough to let to 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 keep you on the on track. You've got to have some depth in your understanding. All right, so it, it's the the early church, right? Long ago, they they were encouraged to give logical, coherent, responsible answers for for the worldviews around them, and then for their own particular worldview as, it, as part of defending the gospel, you see. But, but today, sadly, the church is preoccupied with the, with the wrong things. So I can walk into a church and ask someone a question, is Jesus God, a Christian church? And they won't know how to answer that question. Or I go to someone and I say, why do you guys pray? <laughs> As simple as that question is, a lot of people don't know. I'm serious. Or why do you go to church in the first place? Why do you believe Jesus is real? Are you sure it's not a fable? You know, are you sure you just weren't given Bobo and Zobo? <laughs> you know, these are questions that a lot of Christians don't have. And so what you find out, someone said so strongly that a lot of people, and this is a true statistic that, a huge number of young Christians, when they get into college, especially in American schools, they lose their faith because they really had nothing to hold on to in the first place. So when they get in there and then everyone is attacking what they believe, everyone is throwing something, some doubt, some objection, they don't know what to say. It's like, okay, this thing that I believe, I just got it from my parents. I grew up in a Christian home. 
or I heard this person say this and I heard this person say that. And sometimes you even vehemently defend something someone else said without verifying it for yourself. Who, who's, who's been there before? I remember when I was growing up as a Christian, there certain things that I would hear people say, physiologies, and I would defend it. And <laughs> thank God for his mercies and just, you know, the humility that I had to experience, you know, when someone was like, hey, calm down. Ennis, your blood is too hot. Let's go back to the Bible. And I couldn't see anything about what I was saying in the Bible. And then he said, where did you hear it from? And I'm like, I heard this from so-so-so pastor. He's like, okay, so can you honor the pastor but still honor the written word? You have to do both. So understand that someone here might say something wrong, but the word of God is the word of God. So we have to put God's word as a priority you know, so if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. And you, I hope you see the need for what we're doing. But I don't want to just give you my own views. All right. I want to give you God's idea about this. So I need someone to read First Peter chapter 3 from verse 15. First Peter chapter 3 from verse 15. I'm going to try to put this up here. Once you have it and you're ready to read, feel free to unmute yourself and get on. I'm reading from the International Version. Okay. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Hmm. But do this with gentleness and respect. Beautiful. Thank you. So um, I'm going to put it up on the screen. I love this. So if, if you've ever had any doubt that what we're doing is important, here is your proof that it is important. Here is evidence from an apostle of Jesus Christ. He says, set apart the Messiah as Lord in your heart. Oh, I have a lot to say about that. But... Uh, let's go on. He says, and always be ready. Pay attention to the words here. Always be ready. So it's a, it's, it has to be your disposition. When someone comes to you, Miriam, and says, you know, Miriam, you know, why do you, why do you give money in church or something? I'm just giving a random example. You should have an answer immediately from God's word, not just from what you've heard or anything like that, you know. Or if I, if I say, if I say, Mufon, please, could you tell me, uh, I mean, like, how do you know that the Bible is true? You should have a response. Premeditated response. Praise God. This is so crucial. And, 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 um, you know, let's keep going. I want us to follow the, the line of thought here. It says, always be ready to give a defense to anyone. So anyone who asks you for a reason <laughs> for the hope that is in you, basically for the hope, the Christian hope, the fact that you're going to be resurrected again, you're going to have a new life. You're going to, if you, if you die on this earth, you will, you will rise again. And if you don't, you'll be caught up to meet Jesus in, in the heavens when he returns. That hope that all this you are doing is not in vain. It's for something. Oh, dear Lord. Okay. It's fine. That what you're doing is not in vain. It's not just something you feel like doing. It's, there, is, there is value to it. There is all the value in it, eternal value. 
And then he says, however, which is also an, another part to the pie. All right. There are certain people who are out there and they're just the first part, giving a reason, you know, arguing everywhere, just making mockery of the Christian faith. But you see, the Bible is balanced. It says, do this with gentleness and respect, meaning that you're supposed to do it from a place of rest. All right. And also to do it with honor for the other person, knowing that this is another person with value, with life that deserves answers. So you don't push them away. <laughs> you know, a lot of Christians are fond of doing that. That's why many people, you know, when you start asking questions in the church, they start to avoid you. How many of you have experienced that? It's like now you're questioning things like, why, why do we do service like this? Why do we, why do we even read this Bible? Why do we do that? And all of a sudden people are like, hey, this guy is going away. He's running out of the faith. No, questions are necessary. Jesus gave us a standard. Jesus answered every question he was posed. If I let me show you something, but let's finish this. Let's finish this. Look, look at this. It says, keeping your conscience clear. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. So by doing this, by doing this, you are keeping your conscience clear. Because you've given them a reason for your hope. And then he says, this is what will happen. So that when you are accused, when people are accusing you, those who denounce your Christian life or your Christian faith will be put to shame. That's the inadvert- That's just the result of their denial. Because when you've given them a question, an answer that no man can gainsay, then it's left to them. Your conscience is clear, right? You get the point, right? So you've done all you can. You've given a good defense. You've shared the gospel of Christ faithfully so that if they still hold on to whatever they believe, you've been faithful on your part. That's what this text is saying. Let's, let's quick. I want to show you something real quick, but I hope you're getting the gist so far. This, this is so, 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 so crucial. Um, let's look at Matthew 22. I think that's where I will find it. So we're going to look at a journey. Anything we do as Christians, we look at Jesus, right? Jesus is our master. He's our Lord. He's the exact representation of God to us. He came in the flesh to reveal God to us. And he also came to show us to live, the Bible says, as an example that we should follow. So we want to look at what Jesus did and how Jesus handled this topic. All right, so let's look at Matthew chapter 22. I need someone to read from verse 15 for me. We're going to read from verse 15 to verse 22. All right, it's, it's, a, it's a whole lot, but I would love someone to step in and quickly do this for us. Who'd like to, who'd like to help out? Mm-hmm. Matthew. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a Daenerys. So this is Matthew chapter 22. From verse 15 to 22. Go ahead. 
And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled, and left him and went their way. You, this, is, this is such a depiction of what we just read. It, the only exception here is that Jesus was just really angry with these guys. <laughs> Because he's like, you, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? You guys are false. Like, Jesus saw their hearts. He saw malice in their hearts, like it says here. For, but perceiving their malice, Jesus said. So these were Pharisees who were against Jesus' ministry. And by, by uh, what's the word? By a co- consequence of that, also de- um, rejecting God's work and God's ministry to, the, to them. To the, to the Israelites, right? God was trying to reach out to these guys. But the Pharisees were so hard-hearted and they just wanted to find how to get him in trouble. That's what he says here. They plotted on how to trap him. But Jesus gave an answer. Just imagine the answer he gave. He said, should we pay taxes? They were asking him a political question. And Jesus had an answer to a political question. Should we pay taxes to the, to the, to the Romans or not? And then he says, show me a coin. And then he says, who's on it? Whose picture is on it? Think about, just just think about the logic. See how Jesus is using logic to answer a question. This is apologetics right here. He says, whose picture is on the coin? He says, uh, this is Caesar. He says, well, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's. His picture is on the coin, so it's his. <laughs> and then he says, and to God, the things that are God's. You know, a, a profound theologian, who I, I deeply respect and has gone home to be the Lord, said something, you know, he said he could imagine that, you know, a follow-up question to this is, you know, whose are you? Well, because if whose inscription is on this coin, it's Caesar, right? And then he says, and to God, the things that are God's. Well, how do we know what? The things are, that are God are, well, whose inscription are you? Whose face is on you? Basically, you are the image of God, right? You are created in the image of God. So meaning your life should be for him. But that was, I mean, so profound. I, I probably just paraphrased what he said, but yeah, but that's, that's really big. And then in this same chapter, in this same chapter, look at this. The same day. <laughs> so they didn't even give Jesus rest. The same day, some Sadducees who said there's no resurrection. So these are another group of people. The first set of people came with a political question. The second set of people, they're now coming with a, would I say, doctrinal question. Because these are people that do, do not believe in the resurrection. And they come to him and they question him. And then, what? look at this, verse 24. So we're still reading on. Verse 24 says, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother is to marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first got married and died. Follow this story. This is so, I I don't know how depraved one has to be to come up with this story. It's so crazy. It says, the first one got married and died. Having no offspring, he left his wife to his brother. So that's what he does. The same happened to the second also. And the third, and so to all seven. How how terrible is this? Like, a man dies, he's married, he gives that wife over to the brother, 
that brother dies. The third, the brother dies. The fourth, he dies. The fifth, how, how depraved. <laughs> That's just crazy. But he just wanted to put Jesus on the spot. But Jesus never was a person to shy away from those questions. Jesus never said, you know, that's to, to, I'm not answering your question. Jesus always had a response. Look at the next thing. <laughs> Someone said they, they, they all need deliverance in that family. <laughs> all right. So look at verse 28. This was the question he had. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven? For they all had married her. That's, I mean, it's a good question. Let's be, let's be fair a bit, a bit, right? So you have this idea. Don't forget, we know their heart. Because at the beginning, he tells us these were Sadducees. They, they know there's no resurrection. So they're not asking to really know. Are you paying attention to this? They're not asking to know. They just want to set him up. They know, they believe there's no resurrection. But the Bible is clear. There is resurrection. So watch. So they are asking now, which one would he be in the resurrection? And Jesus gave them. <laughs> I can imagine this kind of response. Just listen. Just listen to this. It says, you are deceived. Because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. Do you know how audacious that is? <sighs> Let me give you perspective. You see, when, when you are studying the Bible, I and these are the things I'm teaching you here. When you study the Bible, don't just read think we just thought we went a few verses earlier sadducees are asking this question so okay okay we know they are not even believers in resurrection but they're asking a question about the resurrection and they're asking jesus who will be the husband of this woman in heaven (laughs) and then he says you are deceived these are people who are supposed to be teachers of the law meaning they know the torah they know the law they know the prophets they know the psalms they know all of the scriptures and he says you don't know the scriptures wow audacious Fon said ko <laughs> so you don't know you don't know the scriptures or the power of god then he says for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are like angels in heaven meaning that gender and all of those things are construct for this earth Pay attention. That's what Jesus is teaching. He's saying the whole idea of gender and all of that, where someone, I, I, let me even say sex, because we have a big audience here and some people, you know, stumble on those words. The whole idea of male and female is an earthly concept for the purpose of recre- uh, reproduction on the earth. So there is no marriage. There is no giving in marriage in heaven. He says you will be, he's not saying you will be angels in heaven. He's saying you will be like angels in heaven. All right. Then he says, now concerning the resurrection of the dead, haven't you read what is spoken to you by God? And then he's quoting from the same scriptures that he said they don't know. You see, follow Jesus's pattern. All right. Follow his pattern. His pattern is. First of all, I'm going to confront you. You You're saying rubbish. You're speaking in the nonsense. (laughs) Yeah, you're talking in rubbish. So that's what that's what he was saying, first of all, you know, but. He saw their hearts. That's why he could speak like that. We don't see hearts of people. So we will be more, you know, gentle, all right, in our response. But he says to them here, he says, concerning the resurrection of the dead, haven't you read what was spoken to you by God? You say you know the scriptures. Let me show you what it says in the scriptures. Listen to this logic. This thing busted my head when I read it. It says, I'm the God of, I am 
the God of Abraham and of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He said, and he says, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Think about that. Just let me, let me put this in the message because I like, I like the emphasis here. And this is one, one of those cases where I actually like the, the message because there's sometimes that the text itself, if you don't get how Jesus is speaking, you may lose the context. So it's good to have multiple translations. Look at what he says in, in, in the message. It says, I am not worse. You know, meaning his t- tense is so crucial. You know, I could if I if I had a child and the child died, I could say, Oh, I was the father of that child, you know, because dead. But if I say I am, it's alive. So I am, I, I am not was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The living God defines himself not as the God of dead men, but of the living. And look at the response of them. What was their response? And when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. And then, look at this. <laughs> well, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees as well, they came together in one place. And then you thought you thought it was over, right? No. <laughs> the same day again. Man, Jesus went through a lot. And then one of them, an expert in the law. So now they brought Pharisees, Sadducees. They're like, okay, let's gather together. Let's get someone who is deeper, stronger, who can like use, you know, some other things, you know, bring ethics, politics, doctrine, everything. Let's let's give this guy a huge blow. And so they asked him a question to test him. And then this is the question they asked him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Do you know this is the biggest setup? I wish I had more time to teach on this. But think think with me. This is the biggest setup. Because every law is supposed to be taken as great. That's one. Because they honored the Lord, the law of Moses that God gave, so they just kept setting him up. Because if, G- if Jesus was to, were to say the first law, then he's saying other laws are less. And then also the implication of that. Just watch, watch his response. You get to know what, why this is important. He didn't think twice. The Bible says in Matthew twenty two thirty seven, in response, he said to them, or to him, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind." Bible students, get ready. Let me let me put someone on the spot here. I'm sorry, I do this once in a while. Ruth, how are you? And please, there's no wrong answer. We're all learning. Ruth, could you unmute yourself? I want to ask you a few questions. Don't be scared. I'm a nice guy. Don't mind me. I'm just <laughs> okay. Let me let me give you some time to like uh, relax. Let me call Shayton. Huh? Shaitan there. Yeah. Okay. So a quick question. Uh, they asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And this is what he quoted. So which law is this from the first to the 10th? And feel free to open yeah. book test in case. Isn't it the first law? Okay. Can someone... Find out if that's true. But thanks, thanks for the try. I love that. That's that's a great attempt. 
Who wants who wants to check and validate that? Okay, all right. Do you have something to say? So I was I was going to say it's going to be the thing or it's going to be popular thing. Okay, so so okay, okay. Let's yeah. let's check. So has someone else confirmed that? Yeah, it isn't in the commandments, but earlier earlier in the week I saw this in Deuteronomy. Yeah. Yeah. Did exactly. Sixteen, I think. Okay, but it's not in the Ten Commandments. Yeah, it's not in the commandments. Okay, good. So we've we've confirmed that. You said Deuteronomy what? Um, six five chapter six. Right. Five. Right. Six, yeah. Beautiful. Please, this is if you're new here. This is Bible study. This is how it is. We communicate. So feel free to just. This is where nobody's going to crucify if you're wrong. And you might not even be praised if you're right, because the point is everyone is supposed to just grow here. Okay. Um, so thanks for it. Put that text in the chat so that others can have that for reference. But that's important. Thank you, Shaitan. Thank you, Naya. Thank you, Ruth, as well. Thank you, everybody. Aria, thank you so much. So the first response Jesus gives to these, lo- lo- these, these guys makes them scratch their head. Why? Because he's not even quoting from the law. And when they say which commandment in the law, you know, they they know what they're talking about. Next next one, he says he says this is the greatest and most important commandment. And then he says the second is like it, and he says love your neighbor as yourself. There's this this one does not exist. <laughs> so someone may be asking, what is Jesus doing here? Jesus saw their heart and he's telling them, hey, you guys are so fixated on the law of Moses. You're so fixated on the commandments that Moses received. But you forget something. I'm going to put both of them up here. Do you realize that if you go through the Ten Commandments, the first five all have to do with the first statement Jesus made. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the first five. The second five have to do with your relationship with people and your love to one another. So Jesus was basically showing to them that, hey, you don't pick and choose which one is greater. (laughs) That's what he was doing to them. And he answers and says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. It's greatest. And he says the second is like unto it, meaning it's equally as great. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. That's it. So he just summarized, like, like um, I think it was a friend that said a divine summary, right? <laughs> just give them a summary. You see, and so Jesus did his own too, right? After all of this, Jesus gives them a question as well and says, who do you think the Messiah is? Whose son is he? You know, they said David. And so there's a whole lot. I don't want to even go there. He just gave them a question that left them with this response. Look at what look at what Matthew tells us. No one was able to answer him at all. And from that day, no one dared to ask him anymore. <laughs> Nobody dared to ask him any more questions because Jesus always had the right answers. Do you know you can always have the right answers? Did you know that? Do you know, do you know that that is walking in wisdom, walking in just the way Jesus walked. And for some that may think, oh, this is Jesus, you know, this is for the special 
special agent Christians. You know, you have to be so deep and so high and all of that. No, let's let's go on. Let's go. So Jesus sets the example. Guess what we see next? Paul also did the same. So I'm going to just, because we are, we're losing time and I have a few things to discuss. I'm going to show you some things that Paul did, especially in Acts chapter 17. In fact, I would love you to read the book of Acts, specifically chapter 17, because you would see a lot of things here. Jesus showed them that, hey, you don't, you don't mess with me. Don't mess with me. You know, and trust me, it was out of love because some people might look at what Jesus did and say, Jesus is just so harsh. Why would he talk to them like that? No, true love will correct you in your wrong. That's true love. True love doesn't say, let's tolerate everyone. Let's tolerate every religion. Let's tolerate everybody with whatever they they feel. No, it means love them, care for them, give to them, be around to support them, but confront their wrong. That is true love. True love is not seeing someone in front of a an 18-wheeler truck speeding. Your the person is on the road and you're there and you're saying, Hi, you know, let's just let me just love you and just, you know, love you so much and care for you. You see an 18-wheeler truck speeding to, to hit that person on the on the road. Love would make you run, push the person just like a superhero, push them out of the road, almost give your life just to make sure they are safe. And then even if they are hurt in the process, you've saved their lives. That is true Christianity. That is true love. Love will confront evil. Love, let me show you real quick. I, I'm sorry, I'm, I just really want you to see this. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, right? The chapter on love. Most people just read, you know, I'm going to do a quick reading here. So, 1 Corinthians 13, from verse 4, it says, Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, is not boastful, is not conceited, right? We believe all those things. Love does not act improperly, it's not selfish, it's not selfish, it's not provoked, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Guys, this is for somebody. If you truly have the love of Christ, you will not keep record of wrongs. Some of you are still holding on to something that someone has done to you. Let it go. Let it go. Like like we read in Second Peter, if you followed the Bible study we've been doing over the week, you have to add to your faith, moral excellence, virtue, temperance, temperance, forgiveness. These are things that you need to have and offer freely because you've been freely given. Okay. Um, uh, the next one is, it says, finds no joy in unrighteousness. This is the definition of love. Look at, look at how love is defined. Ah, man. How is love defined? It says, it finds no joy in unrighteousness. So when you see unrighteousness, you are not happy about it. That is love. That is love. It says, but rejoices in the truth. And so to, to answer Samuel's question, Samuel says, um, what of the regular response? Respect his or her opinion. Well, you know what? Let it be that you've done all you can. Remember what you remember what we read, 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. After you've done everything, you've given a defense, you've shared the gospel, you've been loving by you know, rebuking what is wrong and sharing them the truth of the gospel. 
after doing that and showing them the love of Christ, the fact that, hey, they don't need to live this way anymore. Jesus has paid their fine. They all, all they need to do is believe the gospel. It's not by their works that they're saved, but by trusting in the work of Christ. You've done your part. And still they say, well, respect opinions. What You do that. You give them what they want. God did that, right? God left people over to their desires. You can't be better than God. You get what I mean when I say that. So um, correct in love, do your own part. And then just like that verse says, do it in meekness and do it with you know, reverent fear. Do it with the, all the, the love that you have so that your conscience will be clear at the end when it is shown to them that, man, you know, you've done your part. So that's that's the biblical context. Um, do your own part. You will always be, people will always make a mockery of what you represent. People will always want to say they, their own way is better, but we are more informed. We know that, hey, we're aware. We're not surprised at those responses. Just do your part, all right? That's just what I would say here. All right, so you see how this verse says, and, and just one more thing. I'm speaking from experience here. They will come around if you are patient, I've had people who come back later on to say, man, you were right. But sometimes it takes years. But let it be that you were right and you were, you were nice and gentle in your approach. Because people will, people will see the result of your painstaking patience, right? Let it, it may pain you, it may hurt you that they're just, you know, not, pain, not listening to you. But go back in your closet, pray, you know, pray for them, think about them reach out to them, take care of their physical needs, be there for them. That's, that's the Christian way. All right. So I don't want to spend too much time on that because I still have a few things to talk about here, but hope we're learning something so far. You see, so we understand, we understand that love does not find joy in unrighteousness. All right. So let's go back. Acts shows us something about Paul. I'm going to show you a few verses that shows what Paul was doing. Because all of us think we are not supposed to be confrontational. We just need to be nice in quotes where we don't hurt anybody's feelings. But I don't think that's what Jesus what, what Jesus had on his mind. I don't think he was thinking about hurting people's feelings. I think what was important to him was saving them. And sometimes to save someone from cancer or a tumor or something that could take their lives, you need to perform a surgical operation. So one pain might be inflicted that is less than the real pain of actual death, but it's a necessary pain. Who gets what I'm saying? It's, it's not going to be easy. Just, just do what you're called to do. Look at Paul. This was Paul's approach. Acts chapter 17 from verse 2 to 3. I'm going to read it real quick. It says, as usual, meaning it was something he did consistently. As usual, Paul went to them and on three Sabbath days, so three, you know, Saturdays or Sundays, you know, and if you know, if you now understand as revealed in scriptures, um, not, no days is greater than the other, okay? So in, in Christ, Christ is our Sabbath. It, it, was, it was symbolic pointing to our rest, the rest that we'll have in Christ. So, God can be worshipped on any day. You know, it could be Friday, it could be Saturday, it could be Sunday. The principle is there. Just the rest principle is there. 
Um, so I'm saying that because some people have debates on the Sabbath day, and we're going to teach on types and shadows as we go along in in our studies. Okay, um, it says and on three Sabbath days um reasoned with them see that word guys pay attention reasoned with them from the scriptures so he didn't just give them and that's the problem we have in church today i'm sorry i'm <laughs> i'm just very angry because a lot of people don't even get to ask questions or get their questions answered and it's almost a thing of my pastor said it so it is fine now i cannot question it but guess what your pastor's authority is the scriptures this is where everybody is supposed to get their insight from. So if he's coming to you and he's telling you, hey, this, 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 and you see that it doesn't look like what you are seeing in the Bible, you know, and you go back, you study, you are like, it seems so inconsistent. A pastor's responsibility is to reason with you. Like by the time it's done, you should be convinced from the scriptures of truth, not the other way around. This is so crucial. So you go, imagine this, picture Paul for three Sabbath days, three consecutive Saturdays. Let's use Saturday in this example. And he went with them from, from the scriptures, you know, saying, see, you see here, you can see this prophecy about Jesus. So this is exactly what he said. He said he was pierced in Psalms chapter 22. He was pierced. They pierced my hands and my feet. David was not pierced in his hands and his feet, but we see Jesus was pierced. Look at look at this. And he takes them through and he says, what do you think? He's reasoning with them from the scriptures. That's, that's how to do it. He says, and explaining and showing that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. So he took them from Genesis, Exodus, showing them that, hey, you might be so fixated on the stories. But see, this is all pointed to Jesus Christ. Look at Jonah. Jonah was in the, in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. Guess how long Jesus was in the belly of the earth? which means burial. He was three days and three nights. Jonah was spit out of the, of the, of the fish. Jesus was, was, he was resurrected. And he just keeps going on and shows them, you know, look at this, look at that, look at reasoning from the scriptures. That's how it is done. That's what he did. And he says, this is the Messiah, Jesus, who I am proclaiming to you. Praise God. Look at Acts 19. Let me show you another one. Because some people will be like, it's not Christians should not argue. Christians should not debate. That's not what you should be thinking about. See, Christians are supposed to argue and debate with gentleness. That's the whole point. Gentleness, gentleness and wisdom and love. But you must. You can't allow error to just keep going. That's the problem. You see, there are a lot of errors today in the church that have not been... Um, challenged and they've been allowed to grow and that's why the church today people are running out of the church because they're not getting answers to questions there are very few churches that talk about homosexuality issues that are happening in our in our day so people go out get the wrong information and run with that where where whereas the church is supposed to be the custodian of truth we should be on every social media platform expose expounding the truth showing to people why what we believe is true and when people have questions for us we're supposed to give them answers. Look at, look at this. Acts chapter 19 from verse 8 to verse 10. It says, Then he entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of what? How many months? Three months. Please follow this. Three. So January, February, March, 
I'm giving you mental pictures. It will help you. Engaging in discussion. So when you see Christians that are engaging in discussion, and you say your own is too much, doctrine, 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 every time they're just trying to discuss, you don't, read, you don't know your Bible because the apostle, the apostle Paul and Peter and all the apostles, they reasoned, they, they did serious diligence with their teaching of the word. It says engaging in discussion. And I think, sorry, to, I'm going to say this because I just feel like talking today. The, there are a lot of Christian cults, right, that are growing. Do you know why they are growing? Do you understand this principle? They will find you. They will tell you want to have an appointment with you. They will study the Bible with you. They will teach you their doctrine. They will continue for years and consistently. And that's how they are winning people over into error. Ha, ah, man. Dear Lord Jesus, let me continue so I don't get sidetracked. You've, you've got to understand that this is so crucial. If, if you persist in a particular thing, although false, with, with time, with time, if you're not careful, you will start to believe those things, even if they are, they are the false. Like there was a time everyone was talking about the earth is flat and they give so much evidence for the, for the flat earth. And, um, you know, people started believing, oh, you know, we've all been deceived. They didn't go anywhere to space. They just had a an acting room with green screen. So that was not really Mars. They didn't go on Mars. They didn't go to the moon. So the Earth is flat, you know. And they would be build so many. And, I, and that's not a, I mean, it's not a big deal to me. If the Earth is flat or it is round, that's not a big deal. It doesn't change. Like, I mean, it's not like my room is not going to be here tomorrow. <laughs> so it's not a big deal to me. But when it comes to issues of your eternal security your faith your hope your eternal life you don't joke with it you can't just take what a preacher tells you without testing it let me continue this he went he engaged in discussion acts 19 from verse 8 to 10 he engaged in discussion trying to persuade them about the things related to the kingdom of god but when some became hardened and will not believe which is going to happen to some people they would, you would do all this, but they would still not believe you. That it, it happened with Paul. You're not an, you know, you're not an exception. They became hardened. I would not believe. They slandered the way. And here, when he says the way, he's talking about the Christian faith in front of the crowd. When he found out that they would not believe, what did, what did he do? He withdrew from them and met separately with the disciples. What did he continue to do? <laughs> Conducting discussions every day. In the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So there was a lecture hall and he was teaching and discussing. And this went on for about what? Two years. So three months. He's every single day engaging in discussion. They didn't accept. And then he went to the people that were listening to him. And he continued. So even believers need to be continually taught and convinced about the word of truth. And he stayed with them for two years so that all the inhabitants of the province of Asia, both the Jews and the Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. <sighs> this, is, this is huge. And just a, a chapter back, let's go back a chapter. Just I want to show you something else. A chapter be, before, um, Acts 19, Acts 18 rather. I think it was verse twenty. Okay, let's start from let's start from here. 
Um, look at this. This is an example of someone in the in the in the faith being corrupt, 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 dear Lord, corrected. <laughs> Praise God. Are you guys still here? Are you guys still here? Just check. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Yes. Let's go on. So look at this. Acts eighteen twenty four. A Jew named Apollos. I actually want someone to read this from verse twenty four to verse twenty eight. I'm going to put it on the screen. I need someone to read this for me. A Jew. Oh, okay. You can go ahead. All right. A Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandria, an eloquent man who was powerful in the scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught the things about Jesus accurately. Although he knew only John, John's baptism, mm -hmm. he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him home and explained the way of God to him more accurately. When he wanted to cross over to Achaia, the brothers wrote to the disciples, urging them to welcome him. After he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. Did you guys hear this? I'll, I'll rush through this real quick and show you some key points. So a man named Apollos, he was a Jew, all right? And he says he was eloquent, meaning if this guy talks for you, ah, if you're a lady like this, your body will be, you know, Oh my God, deep voice. And he just had a way to communicate. He could talk, you know, he could, the Bible the, the, the says, and you know, all this kind of stuff. And he was just eloquent. And then, and he was, the Bible says it was powerful in scriptures. So he knew every, he knew the scriptures. But <laughs> you can know all those things. Though. And then he says, he arrived in Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit. He taught and spoke about Jesus accurately although he only knew John's baptism. So he spoke about deep things, but he was only teaching them about John's baptism. He didn't talk about the actual baptism, which is salvation through Jesus Christ, baptism of the spirit. So he only knew John's baptism, which is something um, Paul corrected, you know, in Acts chapter 19, where he meets some disciples on the way and he tells them, what baptism did you receive? And they say, we, were, we only received um, John's baptism. That's the only doctrine we learned. And Paul taught them accurately as well. Same thing we're seeing here. But he was preaching and preaching. And so Aquila and Priscilla, they're walking, you know, husband and wife. And they're like, what is this one saying? <laughs> ah, we better take this guy. Yo, because he was speaking. And then imagine, you know, a lot of people are like, don't correct people. Don't. When it comes to the word of God, truth is important. They came, they saw, they listened, and they took him home and explained the way of God to him more accurately. So they did a Bible study with him and said, hey, well done. You're doing a good job, but we have to correct this and this. But notice, they took him as a brother in Christ. So, so here, lessons we're learning. When you are reaching out to the unbelievers, we've seen the pattern. You know, you reason with them from the scriptures. You answer their questions when they are posed. You are clear. You know, at 17, Paul is preaching to people who were worshipping a statue named to an unknown God. And he, he he refutes their falseness and then also gives them logical reasoning for why they should do, they should uh, not worship 
idols because if God was, you know, created all of us, then we can't worship what is created. He gave them a logical argument there. Read Acts 17 to get what I'm saying. So he, he did that. But when he came to the believers, right, notice this. So after he had done all this, what he did, they took him, you know, and then brought him home and said, okay, guy, let's teach you the correct thing. And so they did this. And notice it was Priscilla and Aquila. So if you are feeling like it's a thing for men, you are missing the point because Priscilla's name was even mentioned first. But that's another discussion for another day. And, you know, they heard him. They took him home, explained the way of God to him. Then he wanted to cross over. The end result of all of that is that now he knows the truth. So he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. So this is crucial stuff. You see, so, you know, and, and that's the thing. Most of us can't do this because many of us, and this is not, I'm not attacking anyone, but it's the fact. Someone also said these things to me, all right? Many times our understanding of God and his word is so shallow and fickle that we, we, we can't even spend quality time to defend it because we don't know it. So we can't really even spend quality time to do that. But it's so crucial that we understand who we are who we are we are so winners fishers of men we we need to always have a reason for what we believe all right so this is crucial it's not it's not just a sidebar or a sideline thing this is crucial let me quickly go through a few points um <sighs> dear lord jesus we have so much do you still see my screen yes all right let me let me show you know, a few things that we get often, you know, there's some objections to, to apologetics. And I think we've discussed that already. Um, I see there are a few questions. I hope someone is helping me, you know, gather these questions because I'll love to answer a few of them when they come in. So objections to apologetics, we've already treated some of them. So some people will think, you know, some people might even be hearing me right now and just feel like I'm wasting my time. Because we, you've probably been so, you know, indoctrinated into thinking this is not crucial. But the Bible teaches otherwise. We see the words reasoned, argued, teaching for hours, just trying to prove the verity of the gospel, that Jesus is truly the Messiah, that he died, he was buried, he rose from the dead. The gospel, the central, the central message of what we believe, they, they defended it with all, with all their passion. So people might say it's not really important and it could be controversial. Of course, Jesus was a controversial guy because he wasn't bringing them truth they knew already. You see? So it's so important that you understand this. Another, another, um, um, another objection we get is that, you know, it's for special Christians. So it's not for every believer. But apart from Jesus and Paul, and the other apostle, Stephen, gave a defense in Acts 7. So it's for everybody. Okay, no questions so far. That, that, that looks good. So I'm, I, I, I would say I'll be, let me, let, me, uh, let me just not say that. Because I don't think that the absence of questions means I'm, means I'm doing a good job. I don't think so. I just think there's really no question yet. So if you do have questions, feel free to put them in. If I can't answer them now. I'll make sure that there is, you know, ample time to give a question, to answer questions. Um, maybe in the next time we have this session, you know, 
another argument. So another person would say, you know, it's only about arguments. It doesn't produce anything good. See, God's word has to be trusted. It is argument. And argument is not a negative thing. Don't think argument means like boxing. But there is a contending for truth. Not everything that is said is true. There are things you heard in church that are not true. I'm serious. Even if the person is, you know, there been. I, I hope you realize that Christianity has a history. There was a time that there were leaders that they were the only ones that had access to the scriptures. And they were boldly lying to a congregation that you had to pay penance. You had to pay money for salvation. Some of you will be like, uh-uh, pay money for salvation. But there was a time that people were paying money for forgiveness of sins. It was called penance. And a guy from nowhere, Martin Luther, you know, deep thinker, he had been there, he had also been a part of the Catholic Church. And then he's like, uh-uh, he's reading the book of Romans. We are saved by grace through faith. That's not what this sounds like. There's no money. There's no payment. This guy goes, studies. He writes 95 theses. You guys should go and investigate Martin Luther. He writes 95 theses. Statements of the faith, truth. He goes to the door of the, of the Catholic Church of that day. Nails it to the door. Do you know the audacity it takes to do that? And because of what Martin Luther did, you guys now, eh? <laughs> that's why you can discuss by grace through faith. If not, we'll be paying like $100 now to be saved. Like, we'll be paying that. Ah, ayo, yesterday you told a lie. You need to go and pay this amount of money, you know? And you know what is funny? There are certain sects today that may not call, they may not call it penance. Even in Protestant churches, they may not call it anything, but they will tell you, that you know you have to give to be blessed. It, it's it's subtle, very subtle stuff. Entering the church, you have to give a thousand dollar seed to open the windows of heaven, and you too you will be collecting zobo and chinchin and be eating it, not understanding that the gifts of God are freely given. You, the Bible says you have all things given to you. I don't even want to get into detail now because some, I might be, I, it might be like a lot of overload on some people. And, and see, the word of God is our direction. The word of God is our guide. The word of God is what we, we follow. And I've heard this argument. Someone comes and says, oh, Ernest, you know, we're just seeing things from two different sides. Maybe that's the issue. You know, look at this. How many of you have seen this? It's called the 6-9 conundrum. So, Someone on this side sees it and calls it six. Another person from another angle looks at it and calls it nine. And we say, and then the argument is, you are just seeing it from six, the angle of six. Me, I'm seeing it from nine. And while this makes sense, you know, I'm we'll be like, oh, it's just a matter of perspectives. When it comes to the Bible, it's not a matter of perspectives, though. I cannot, I should not get anything different from what the apostles intended. Here's a rule. Here's a rule, and you should write this down. You must not get an interpretation or an understanding of a text that was not intended by the writer. Isn't that common sense? If I'm writing something and I have intent in my writing, it is what I'm trying to communicate that you should have. In fact, if you read Second Peter, there was a part in chapter one that says, 
No, we know that no scripture is of private interpretation. The prophecies that were written, they didn't just come up with it. Why would you now be the one to come up with your own rhema or your own revelation that's different from what the scripture teaches, what Paul was trying to communicate? Paul said, you will know my revelation by reading my book. <laughs> that's what Paul said. So if all of us read the epistles and the word of God and the scriptures, we should all come to the same conclusion if we use the same principles. While we can have different applications in different areas, you know, we might see some text and it applies to us in this area of our lives. We cannot have a different interpretation. It's one interpretation that is true and accurate, and then we can have applications on that. Is anyone following me so far? So when you see this, let me tell you what changes the perspective now. Let's say the number, the actual number here, is the last number to, def def to defuse a bomb. So there's a bomb. Listen to this. There's a bomb in this building. And someone tells us, I know what number that is because I put the number there. And this is the last number to defuse a bomb. If you don't put this, the correct number in the next 10 minutes, you are all going to blow up and die. All of a sudden, it's not a matter of perspective again. I can't be saying the six is nine. <laughs> the, first, the next question I'll ask is, I beg, tell us which number is it? You know, that's exactly how it is because the word of God is not, it's not subject to your perspective or your perception or your angle or your rema. No. In fact, we'll talk about rema another day because rema doesn't even mean revelation in the first place. It's, it's a misuse of the word. Praise God. So I have a few minutes, but I want to answer, I wanted to answer two questions. But what I'll do is give an introduction. All right. I'll do it quick introduction just because it will help us um, really well. So I'm going to try to do this in the next uh, six to eight minutes. So please, timekeepers, keep me in check. If you've been gaining so a lot from what we've done so far, let me see your hand. Let me see something. I want to know that this time was not wasted. And I hope you've been challenged to see the importance of knowing the truth for yourself and being able to defend it so important you have to a lot of people go to school four years five years studying something that they end up they don't even end up using <laughs> you know but then you've studied you studied for that long for things that are of the flesh things that are just going to bring money into your pocket but how many of us have studied that much when it comes to eternal truth some of us are struggling to even read these books we're saying we should read in the week it's just 15 minutes. Just say, ah, this whole week, oh, let me just take 15 minutes and open the Bible. Mm -mm, no, everything else is a priority. It shows, it shows where your heart is. So if I'm speaking to you directly, just take your sob and take it in love and accept it and just, you know, be challenged. If you've not read Jude, go read Jude. If you don't read Second Peter, read Second Peter. We have a new set we're reading this week. So I want you to be ready for that. But please, I'm begging you because, see, I don't think, I hope I am that I'm an addition to the list of people that are begging you to do what is right. That's my desire. So let's answer a question together, right? Is there a God? You know, this is a question that, um, <laughs> you guys, I'm not violent, I beg. You should see Paul, you should see Jesus. Before you call me violent, go and look at those two people. Jesus flogged people out of the of the temple. He used cane. Like he, he premeditated it. He made it. Yeah, and he flogged adults, not children. You know, beat adults out of the temple. So I'm not started beating you guys. 
All right. But let's talk. What is there a God? So real quick, let me get into it. Um, it's, it's a valid question to ask because many of us just believe it by faith, right? But what if I told you that it's not enough? I mean, not that it's not enough, but you can have more than just faith. Science can back you up. How many of you know that? Like the fact that there is a God, the Bible says a fool says in his heart, there is no God. Meaning, you know, it's, 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 it's meant to be the, the easiest thing to believe that there is a God. It should even be harder to believe in the absence of a, of a powerful God because there has to, and we're going to talk about it real quick. So there's something called the cosmological argument. So avoid the grammar for now. I'm just going to make it easy for us to understand. The cosmological argument says if there is creation, there is a creator. So if we see anything created, it, it's proof that there is a creator. If this iPhone, if I were to find this iPhone in the desert, I cannot just randomly say, oh, wow, this just happened by, by random events of explosions. Do you know that's, it? that's an abuse to, to everything the Apple company stands for? They spend millions to come up with this device and you tell them you just big bang, you just scattered. You can't do that. So evidence of creation is evidence of creation is proof of a creator. Does that make sense? So that's just a, a, a good place to start from. Um, secondly, there's the argument called the te teleological argument. So don't I hope this these words are not um, too heavy, but it just simply means that if there is a purpose for a thing, it means that there was someone who created that thing with a purpose. So we're talking about purpose to a thing. So um, the fact that things have their purpose and their design and their use and complexity, right, is a pointer to the fact that there is an intelligent being. So to summarize the cosmological argument and the teleological argument. I can put it this way. If we see space, time, matter, that tells us that there is a spaceless, timeless, immaterial being that brought all these things that we see into existence. It doesn't stop there. It goes ahead to even say, it has to be powerful because only a powerful God can create a solar system. In fact, the sun, by the way, the sun is just one small dot in other galaxies. There are bigger stars than the sun, by the way. And we only see the sun because that's the that's really the closest star to us in terms of uh, fire and all of that. So if we talk about matter, anything that we can see, touch, feel is had to be created by something immaterial, meaning it had to be without matter, without size, without space. And so the argument is there is a there is an uncreated creator, or like Aristotle says, the unmoved mover. That's a scientific principle. And it will interest you to know that a lot of atheists have come to agree that there was a beginning to creation. So all, most of these scientists, as they do their study and they do all these, their investigation of, you know, timeline, space changing and all of these things. The fact that the earth is expanding, the universe right now, as we speak, is expanding. There is the leftover of some, some explosion of some kind that they are looking into, scientists are looking into, and they can make their deduction that, oh, 
because this is what we have, this is A, this is point A, point B, point C, we can walk backwards and know that there was a beginning to that. Because if, I don't want to go into logical arguments here, but if there is an end, there had to have been a beginning. But God is outside of time, so he's not bound by time. Who gets what I'm saying? You cannot say God has a beginning or an end because there's nothing like beginning and end. <laughs> With God, he's outside of the construct of time which he created. And he's not bound by space. So if you are imagining a God who is in one location and is not in another location, you are missing the idea of God because God is omnipresent. And that's just from our own perspective because we think in terms of presence and time. God is outside of that. All right. So, you know, people come up with, you know, in fact, the latest biggest discovery of science that most people are coming to agree on is the fact that Number one, the universe is expanding, meaning as we speak today, things are still expanding. There's still more discoveries. And then the, the second biggest one is that everyone is now accepting the fact that there was a big bang at the beginning. So meaning everything started from nothing and became something. What does that imply? If something came out of nothing, then there is something behind, I don't want to get too complicated, but there's something behind that nothing that had to have caused things to happen. That's what we mean by the uncaused causer, the unmoved mover, the uncreated creator. That's who we call God. God is spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, and I dare say moral because that's the next argument. The next argument is the moral argument. The fact that universally there are certain things that we accept to be wrong everybody everywhere for example we all know that you know just randomly killing i mean let me just say that at this point in time in history because i know that things keep getting worse as we go on but everybody agrees that you you know pedophilia is a sin is is really bad. I mean, almost every culture says you don't just take a child and rape the child. Everyone agrees on that. Where did we get that sense of morality from? Where did we get that sense of right and wrong from? We did not need to be taught certain things to know something is wrong. In fact, as a child, you know, I don't know how early in your life you remember, but you probably had those feelings when you said something that was wrong or you took something that was not yours. There is a witness in our hearts that just points to the fact that something is wrong. And while there are some things where different countries and continents do not agree on, you know, how bad something is, we all do agree on the concept of right and wrong. And we can only have that if there is a moral law giver. So these are pointers to the fact that there is a God. The most logical conclusion to come to is that there is a God. Because it's harder to believe that nothing, see, it's harder to believe that nothing created everything than to believe something created everything. You need more faith to believe nothing. I mean, if something created everything, it just means that you are being logical because everything we see today was created by something. But now we are saying by extension that this someone who created everything is outside of space, time, and matter. So, you know, all of that. So let me quickly see. what There are a few questions. Um, It means that I'll probably not be able to go to the next one, but I'll just leave you with some points um, real quick. Okay, so the next question will be, is Christianity true? 
you know, and I, I, I'm going to have a whole series dedicated to validating and proving the resurrection, basically to talk about, can, can we trust the, reli the reliability of the scriptures? And so we're going to have a session on that. So I don't want to go into too much detail now. This is an introduction, but I just know that this year is short and there are a lot of things we need to cover and I really, really need you guys to be equipped. But here's, here's some thoughts. To come to the conclusion that Christianity is true, number one, does truth exist? That's the first question. If truth exists, if I say um, there is no truth, you could ask me a question. Is that true? <laughs> because if I say there is no truth and you're asking me, is that true? That is a self-defeating statement already, right? It's self-defeating. It's You can't make a self-defeating claim. If there is no truth, there's no absolute truth, then you can't even ask me, is that what I said true? So that's, the, the, but it just means that there is there is truth. There has to be truth. Um, and then the second thing is there, God, we just talked about that. And I'm rushing through this, all right, because I feel someone would just need this as a step to go study further. And then the third question we'll ask is, are miracles possible? Well, the creation of the universe is the first miracle that ever happened. And so if it did happen, we can be sure that other miracles can happen. Like God can raise, if God is as powerful enough to, to create all that he created, then we can be sure of a future. Um, or things like resurrection from the dead and all of that. I'm looking for a message. Okay. And then that will lead us to the final question. Is the New Testament reliable enough to show that Jesus rose from the dead? Which is why I'll go into more detail. Maybe next next month. We don't know yet, but I'll let you know. But yes, there are a lot of evidences to prove that the New Testament is reliable. The people that wrote the New Testament, they had no motive to come up with a resurrected jesus they had no motive they were already happy jews it's only it only makes sense that it happened you know so there's a lot to talk about but i think this is a good place to stop um i just want to challenge you again the defense of your gospel is your responsibility the defense of the gospel is every christian's responsibility get to know it get to learn it all right it's not something that should be um so far-fetched get to work start studying ask your questions there are answers to those questions that you have all right so let me stop here and really just open up for any questions that have been asked okay so i'm gonna go over the questions so the first one is what do you tell a person that is a christian but believes jesus is not i believe they made a typo um but believes jesus is not the only way to everlasting life they believe we're all going to hell in someone's religion. If you ask this question, I didn't phrase it correctly. Please um, feel free to unmute yourself and um, ask. But that's the question. Basically, what do you tell the person that's a Christian but believes Jesus is not the only way to everlasting life? So the first thing I need to find out is, do you believe the scriptures? Because the scriptures are replete with so many examples. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says there is no salvation in anyone but Jesus Christ. Jesus says I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's just so much emphasis on the fact that Jesus is the only way. He's the only real sacrifice that God accepted and everyone is in sin. So there's no other way if you were to die in your sins without accepting the only sacrifice that was made available 
then I don't understand what Christianity you believe in because Jesus is the whole idea of Christianity, the only sacrifice that was given. So that's what I would say. Do we, do we, the first place I'll ask or start from is, do you believe in scripture? Do you believe in the the Bible? That's, that's really where we'll start from. If you say no, then we can't really go far. I think you probably even don't believe anything else and we can't have a very solid foundation to discuss. Okay. And then Ina says the question is referring to pluralism. To what? Pluralism, right. Mm-hmm. So pluralism is the idea that, you know, there are multiple ways to God. In fact, there are some Christian preachers that seem to see this when they are, you know, in front of worldly celebrities who are, you know, they want to please everybody. Jesus was never like that. Jesus was never like that. So you can't be like that. And if you know anyone who is like that, don't follow those people. Those are the people that we've been reading about in Jude, in Second Peter. They are false prophets. They will come. They will. They will look nice. They will lead you away from the true knowledge of God. And in their secret, they are performing horrible things that you never know about. So you've got to look at their fruit, and um, that will help. Thank you, Ernest. So the next question is from Lillian. Um, Lillian, do you still want me to go on and ask it? Did I ask a question? Oh, um, so in, I think other people might want to know as well. So I'll just go ahead. Um, in reference to um, when Ernest said, um, when there is space, time, and matter, it tells us that there is a spaceless, timeless, and um, immaterial being. So Lillian said, where did the matter come from? Oh, where did it matter? It came out from nothing. The Bible says nothing. There was nothing, and then there was something. And the the person who made something out of nothing is God. That's I see. We don't, you know, you, you, there's a we can't go beyond what the mind can fathom. Right now, some people are like timeless, spaceless. That doesn't even make sense. But there is something like that. We're only in the confines of time and space, so we can only think in terms of time. So that's 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 really it. Any yeah. other question? This is the last one, I believe. Um, Unrelated, but lately I've been wondering if aliens actually exist and if if so, how do they fit into Christian theology? That's a good question. When we see aliens, they will come back and find out what the Bible says. But for now, I don't think um, there is any... Now, I do believe there are some spiritual beings as we've seen in scripture, all right? And Jude tells us they're, you know, chained for everlasting judgment. So... And we also have, you know, Hebrews 13 that talks about <clears throat> men who might be angels and we should, you know, entertain or be hospitable to, to people because we might entertain angels. So when it comes to spiritual beings, I do believe in spiritual beings, meaning they're extraterrestrial. All right. They're like a little bit higher than the, the, the what we know you know, and see normally. But when we start talking about aliens, UFOs, all of that stuff, that's just spooky stuff. Um, so I'd say, you know, until we see that, <laughs> let's worry about the main things that we see, right? So that's what I would say on that. Yeah, go ahead. So I don't think it affects our belief in that we know that life is anything that, you know, breeds the whole Mr. Ninja B stuff. And um, Jesus died for humans, right? He didn't die for plants, he didn't die for animals, he didn't die for apes, he wouldn't do there. They say they are related to us, right? So what that means is if there's life on any other planet, if it's plant life, 
Jesus didn't die for plant life. If it's alien life, intelligent or not, we know Jesus didn't die for them because he didn't die for the other animals. So like where I'm going is alien life is either plant life or other animal life. So it doesn't really matter. Right. Because, and it will end yeah. up being just another discovery of science, right? But that will not yeah. be in the category of humanity, which Jesus came to represent. So that makes sense. All right. So any other question? Already mm-hmm. like two minutes right, past. Totally like, like in relation to that, yeah, I'm not trying to cause problems, but um, I see a lot of arguments about would there be pets in heaven? All this kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I don't so, care because so, I don't like dogs. <laughs> All I know is that I, I think there are going to be animals in heaven. Um, I think so. I see a lot of things like that in, in the in book of Revelation. Um, I do, there are going to be a lot of creatures. Just no so creatures. that means there'll, there'll be plants as well. Yes. There'll be everything. So, if aliens so, exist, would they be there too? <laughs> see, that's beyond my scope. <laughs> All I can tell you is that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And when we when that comes, you know, it's a new creation without pain. There's no suffering. Things that give us pleasure from that uh, from a natural perspective will also be there. So I believe strongly in flowers, trees, uh, weather conditions. I I can even say you know um, feasts. Huskies, because <laughs> Abby likes huskies. I just think there's going to be. It's just going to be a, a world without corruption you know that's not influenced by decay and sin so i think bully you're probably going to like dogs in the new earth because <laughs> they're not going to bite you yes definitely <laughs> all right <laughs> they don't bite me <laughs> okay i think that's all, right. all we have thank you bolo and abby for your questions all right so let's pray let's pray Oh, Father, thank you so much for revealing your word to us. We know that one hour, 30 minutes is not enough to just discuss and to challenge ourselves in our in the admonition of your word, in the knowledge of Jesus, and in our faith. But Lord, we, we, we've put this to good use, and we ask that you would bring to fruition all your plans for our lives even as we remain faithful to the study of your word even as we go out to defend the gospel of jesus christ with all of our hearts we ask for courage we ask for boldness we receive it with gratitude oh god we receive it boldly and lord we stand firm on our convictions oh that jesus is god jesus is alive today and that the gospel is the power of god to save anyone and lord we go out boldly preaching your gospel answering every question that we're asked about our faith, about the hope that we have. And Lord, we have the answers. We will be disciplined. We'll be diligent to be approved, to show ourselves approved unto God. And Lord, we will pull down imaginations, cast down imaginations and every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's what we do as soldiers of Christ. Thank you, Father, because we're equipped. And I pray right now for everyone here on this, under the sound of my voice who is sick or has a relative that's sick. I pray for healing right now in the name of Jesus. Your week is blessed. You're empowered to do all that is required because you've received all that pertains to life and godliness. You're strong, you're strengthened, and there is victory ahead of you. Thank you, precious Father. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Love you guys so much. Thank you for listening to this recording. We hope this session was a blessing to you as it was for us. If you would like to be an active part of Bible Marathon, 
maybe join in live on our Sunday sessions, be part of the WhatsApp group, or would just like to know more about the Bible Marathon Project, visit our website, bit.ly slash bmglive4 for more details. That's bit.ly slash bmglive4 for more details. We pray you stay blessed, experiencing progress and joy in